This is Teachable Moment, the show where we get to know the people that make LCC go. I'm Steve Robinson, president of Lansing Community College, and I go one-on-one with a member of our campus community to learn about a key concept or idea from their area of expertise. It's a show about what makes LCC great, the fantastic people with inspiring ideas who change lives every day with their incredible work. My guest today is Jeff Janowick, a history professor here at the college. He's here to talk about a great concept called culture of care. He's going to tell me more about what that means and why it's so important, especially now. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Steve. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to have you. And uh, before we talk about culture of care and your teachable moment, I would like to hear a little bit about you. You are a full-time history professor here at LCC. How long have you been here at the college? I've been at LCC for 22 years, if you can believe it. I can believe it. 22. That is a good run. I, I, I was at a, my two colleges ago for 23 years. So it's really cool to have longevity. You've been here through a lot of changes at LCC. There's been a lot that's happened at LCC in the time I've been here, but there, but some things are the same. And I think one of those is our commitment to our students. And that's, for me, that's what keeps me here. And that's what keeps me energized and engaged. And I love it. So. Well, that's what I've noticed about you in the time that I've been here. And that's true. Uh, you know, a lot of things change at community colleges, but I think that common thread that goes through the decades is our commitment to students. Tell me a little bit about the things you've done in history and academics here at the college. With a longevity of 22 years, you've probably been involved in a great deal of things here at the college. So, yeah, history is a discipline that likes to be involved. And mm-hmm. we like to, we have a faculty that likes to be engaged. Yeah. And so when there's initiatives at the college, we often participate and join in because we think it's important and we want to have input and, and help shape how those things are, um, how those things go. And so I've been a part of any number and as have the history faculty, we've been a part of any number of student success initiatives at right. the college. We've been part of Gateways to Completion. We've been part of uh, the OER project, Open right. Educational Resources. Uh-huh. Uh, we just are, we've actually been part of the assessment initiatives. We, we right. try to do lots of different things because um, we care about our students and we want to make sure that, um, we want to make sure that our that we are teaching the best that we're able to uh-huh, right. and that we're connecting into the larger mission of the college. Well, and, and I've noticed that here at LCC and other, and other community colleges, history, like my discipline of English, is a kind of a service-oriented discipline, right. right? So you have a lot of engagement on the part of faculty. And you are a former president of the Academic Senate, right? That's correct. Yes, I was, I was a member of the Academic Senate, and then I was the president for a couple of years and um, have stayed involved with the Senate um, as a way because it and again, to keep teaching um, first and foremost in the minds, in my mind, but also, you know, throughout the institution. Right. And, uh, you know, you're probably thinking, and I think you're too young to be thinking like this, but with 22 years of experience, you're one of the more senior seasoned faculty members, correct? Uh, I, I guess I am. Yeah. I, I remember when, I, to think that when that dawned on me, I said, oh, I'm, I, I remember at the beginning of my teaching career looking up to all these folks who'd been here for a long time. And then I realized that one day I'm, I'm, that, I'm in that category. It's a weird thing. And uh, part of it is that history, um, I, I recognize that 
in history, that's what happens, right? That that things change over time your and your role changes yeah. over time. Yep. But it's weird to actually experience it sometimes. And to be a part of it and to be an important, um, you know, uh, ambassador, I suppose, of longevity, history, those kinds of things. Well, sure. thank you for all that you do in, in that regard. And uh, But your your observation about students and student success is a great pivot point to your teachable moment. You're going to talk to me about this um, emerging important um, idea of a culture of care. And so why don't I turn the floor over for you, to you for a minute and teach me what, what is meant by this phrase, culture of care, in the context of higher ed? So that's a, that's a complicated question, but in some ways it's also really simple. <laughs> and it's fundamentally the idea that our students are human beings <laughs> and that a little bit of kindness goes a long way in helping them to succeed. Mm -hmm. And that the culture of care is, as you said, it's, I think there's a growing interest in this across higher ed and as a way to keep our students connected and to help them succeed and, and um, do well throughout both at our institution, but then wherever they go afterwards, whether it's to a career or to a four-year school. And so the idea of the culture of care is, I think it, in a lot of ways, what it represents is a mindset change. Okay. All right. Tell me a little bit about that mindset. Are there key elements or principles that you can share about that? So I think, I think the, the key thing, again, and I, I know it sounds so basic, right? but that our students are people and they live complicated lives right. and that they don't exist just as abstract students who come here and take classes and then go away. And that they're those parts of their lives impact how they interact with us, how, the, how well they're able to do in school, mm -hmm. um, how they experience their classes. And that part of our role is to help them manage some of those difficulties and to try to help them in any way that we can. So if I, if I hear you correctly on that, that first uh, maybe main principle of students are humans is, is from a pedagogical standpoint, uh, seeing them as whole people. Right. Not just the, a, a pupil or a student, but as a person. Right. And so, so for me, I mean, that sort of, I, I tend to think about the culture of care, sort of the way I became involved in some of these conversations is talking about what I, um, the phrase that people use is the, the pedagogy of kindness. Okay. All right. Great. <laughs> and that's sort of a manifestation of the culture of care in the classroom. So, so part of the idea behind the, the pedagogy of kindness, the fundamental principle behind it is that, again, our students have complicated lives mm -hmm. and that our role is to help them achieve these learning outcomes right. and that navigating that can be complicated and that we don't want to be barriers in them achieving that. So there's so much in what you just shared, but one thing I want to ask as a follow-up question, and I might, I might phrase it this way, if you're talking about the pedagogy of kindness it almost infers uh, pedagogies that aren't kind, right? <laughs> and so the question I would ask is, let's say I'm a, a, a brilliant subject matter ask, expert, and, uh, but I'm new to teaching, and I come to you and I say, I've been hearing about this thing called the pedagogy of kindness. How can I put that into practice in my teaching? What would you share with me? So like, I, like actions or behaviors? So I would share at least one or two things. And Excellent. So I, I think the first thing is that 
no matter how expert you are in your subject matter, you have to think about your role as helping students learn that material. And so that rather than simply being a gatekeeper or a measurer, that of course we're going to measure how the students achieve, right. but our focus is on helping them achieve. And that may seem like a really small, subtle difference, but it's actually a really big deal. Okay, then let's map it out. The, the distinction between helping them achieve and measuring whether they achieve. So in that sense, if, if I'm a subject matter expert, I'm going to get in the classroom and I'm going to talk about whatever it is that I'm an expert in. So yeah. for me, that's history. Right. And I'm going to talk about content, history. Content. And it's all going to be mm -hmm. content delivery and, you know, the, the worst nightmare of, I, I don't know what your experience of history classes were, but the, the nightmare of a history class is names and dates. Right? Right. right. And just sort of this long list of things. Things to memorize. That you have to memorize. Got it. And so part of the idea, and again, I would argue that good history teaching is not about memorization. And certainly at the college level, it's actually about thinking and asking questions and um, oftentimes challenging some of those things that, that we live in an era where the information is readily accessible all the time. Right. It, it used to be a really important skill to be able to, to know that information. Now it's more important to know how to access that information and then also how to think about it. So, so knowing what happened isn't really the crucial thing that I'm teaching. I'm teaching about why it happened and helping students think about both why it happened and why it mattered. So those higher order uh, things like analysis, synthesis, yes. critique, right? right? So, so, but if I'm, uh, let's say I understand that, but how, do I, how does one do that from a position of kindness? And so part of it is that, that well, so part of it is what you said. We have to present the material slightly differently. Okay. Right? That you have to present the material. It's not just me sort of dumping information into them. Right. And then they deliver it back and I test right. whether or not the, they the get it. The banking model of education, <laughs> right. right? Right. And so I think you have to construct assignments that are a little bit different and that um, help let students show you what they've learned, right? And let them engage the material in slightly different ways. But when I think about the pedagogy of, of kindness, the other thing I think about then is when you do measure, how do you do that? And is that essentially a form of punishment when students do that work? So you just sort of created a paradigm shift for me. So while you were talking, it seems like we almost have to do pedagogy of kindness in stereo. You have to do it sure. on the instructional or pedagogical side, but also on the assessment and measurement side. Yes. Like I can... I think we can all remember assessments that were unkind. Right. Right. So, I mean, the, the, the mind just races about how an assessment tool could be unkind. What, what kind of things would you tell me if I was that same person saying, I want to inject uh, the pedagogy of kindness into my quizzes and tests and assignments? What kind of advice would you give me? Well, so part of it is you have to, those so this is complicated because it depends on disciplines and different disciplines right, have right. different... Isn't that the most <laughs> academic answer? It depends, yes, right? So it, it does depend. So tell but, me what it depends I, upon. Well, I think it depends a lot on your discipline, but I think it... Uh, and what you're, what you're assessing the students being able to do. Right. But it turns out that at least in history, and I think it's true in many of the things we teach, mm -hmm. if, if what you want the students to give you is sort of the rote answer... Okay. Um, and I don't mean right answer. I mean like, oh, like there is exactly, a word for word. Exactly it must be what exactly, I have provided, yeah. Then I think that's 
that's punishment. <laughs> that's, that's not really learning. It's like, oh, you, sorry, you departed from this, you know, in this way. And that that's not, you know, that's not necessarily learning. And so, so part of the pedagogy of kindness is giving students the space to learn it and think about it in ways that make sense to them, but also hopefully in ways that stick. You just made a light bulb go off in my head. So when you said that, I thought, wow, um, a, a pedagogy of kindness is not just a style. It's not just a method of delivery. It might require rethinking the whole enterprise of teaching. It, it does. And it, it really, but I'll tell you how this started for me. And, yeah, and I'd love to hear that. So in, it, in a weird way, it's not about anything we've talked about. And for me, it started with deadlines and that students come into class and they miss a test or they miss a paper and they they either want to make it up or they want an extension. And I think early in my career, I was a little bit tougher on this, but almost immediately I realized that being tough on deadlines is actually not necessarily great teaching. It sort of goes back to this idea of, well, I want the students to succeed. And so if they're a few days late, they're, they're still demonstrating whether or not they've learned that material. Right. Or you'll, or you'll hear our colleagues say, well, they'll be expected to turn things in on time in the real world, and I'm just preparing them for what you know so, uh, the real world is like, right? So in, in my initial thinking about this, a lot of it was sort of almost anticipating those kinds of criticism just coming from myself. I was like, yes, students need the real world. And I'm like, well, but number one, they're not there yet. Yeah, um, and, and number true. two, and, and so they're still learning, and so we should help them with that. Yeah, I think the other thing is that um, in the real world, like if I'm sick, I don't have to come to work. <laughs> um, in the real world, there are extensions for projects. There is extensions. There's you can take sick days. You know, there's vacation. There's all these things that we grant ourselves, and, and not every profession has those. Not every job has those. Right. But in most jobs, there are ways to. You know, someone used the example, well, you know, lawyers have to go to trial and, you know, you don't. And I'm like, well, there's things in law called continuances. <laughs> and so maybe in your class, don't call it an extension, call it an, a continuance, but create a way to let students um, achieve those learning outcomes and learn the standards of your profession and your field at the same time. Because yeah, so they're, they're not... They're not opposed. Those yeah. are things that go together. Yeah, I heard you kind of reframe the deadline question tw in two ways. One is uh, this is a safe learning space that is different from the real world, but also there are analogs for more kind or caring ways of dealing with hard deadlines. Uh, you know, of course, you know a plane ticket is good for you know uh, one trip on a on a plane that's going to take off, but. People miss flights, and you know, the, 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 just as you were talking, I was thinking just about every hard deadline yes. in the world, the in the real world, there's some kind of exception to it. And sometimes there's a penalty, but it's not it's not the because one of the things that happens in most college classes is that if you miss a major assignment, you probably can't pass the class. Like if if a student doesn't take the first test in my class. They basically can't pass that yeah, class. The math like it's is almost not impossible. There. Right, the math right, isn't right. there. And uh -huh. so okay. so when when you're an instructor and you're saying, Oh, I'm sorry, this is just the real world, you're not just giving them a penalty on that assignment. The the penalty far outweighs 
the transgression that you're trying to address. So that seems to me to be a great way to describe this framework of culture of care or pedagogy of kindness is that's how it would be different. So uh, when I'm role-playing this teacher who asks you the question, I think I learned something. I think you, you would say, here's what you could do with your deadlines. Here's what you could do with some of your policies. Can you get a little more specific about that? Because, I mean, every every course has assignments, projects, quizzes, tests. Right. Um, so if we're going to be kind about them, do, are there just no deadlines, or how does that work? Well, so what I do, mm-hmm. and again, I think it, it does very discipline to discipline. And so every discipline is going to have to situation. figure out how to do this. Okay, go ahead. But what I do is... I tell students, and and this is something that I changed actually very recently, is it used to be that if students came in and asked me for an extension, I said yes, and it was fine. And I thought that that was a, a good mechanism of dealing with this. But I realized, especially just, you know, with our equity mindset that we've been trying to put in place here at LCC, I started thinking about it, and lots of students don't know you can ask for an extension. Exactly. You've just <laughs> privileged the folks who took the initiative to ask right. and, and, and didn't offer that opportunity to folks who, who didn't even occur to them. And lots of students have that mindset that you were talking about, that they're like, well, I have to meet the deadline, and if I don't, then it's my fault, or none of my other instructors would, you know, I just missed it, and so, you know, there's nothing I can do. And so one of the things I do is I put it in my syllabus, and I put it on the assignments. Um, this is the deadline. It's definitely best to finish this when it's due. Right. If you need an extension, let me know. And one of the things that I found very interesting is that I've done this for most of my career in terms of giving students extensions. Right. What used to happen is I would get students who had major crises, um, significant problems, and they would oftentimes need really long extensions. And so when you were saying, does this go on forever? It's like, well, some of those students, I would give them that extension and a certain percentage of them would just never do it anyway. Yeah, that but would happen I'll, when I gave incompletes as yeah. well. You know? and, and part of that is that, the, and I think this is the students who are abusing it, they're the ones who don't complete it. Um, but what does happen is the students who have major problems, they, they are able to um, complete it because they have something they're trying to overcome. When I changed my approach and said, you know what, I'm going to tell students at the outset that they can have an extension if they need it. Number one, the number of requests I got went through the roof, and it was really stunning. That's fascinating. Oh, um, and, and it makes a ton of sense. It's very intuitive, yeah. right? <laughs> well, it's one of those things that it's obvious, yeah. until, except that it's not until you do it. Right. But what was crazy was that almost all of them were requests for like a day or two. Like, can I just have an extra day? Can I just have two days? Can I have a week? And oftentimes it would literally be things like... Um, I, I had to work an extra shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to stay late at work. My kid got sick. And I don't need, you know, limitless time. I need a day. Well, and that makes sense given the uh, assignments we give. I mean, uh, while there are probably courses where they're week-long, you know, cumulative assignments, most most students would probably only need a day or two to yeah. do it, whether that whether it was now or a week from now. Right. And, and so part of what I say is that I, I want you to ask that you tell me you need the extension. Right. You don't have to tell me why you need it, but almost all of them do. And then when they say, I just need a day or two, I'm like, okay, then take a day or two. But if you need more time, let me know. And periodically, they still need more time. But I'm going to say 90% of the students who ask for a day or two that work is in within a day or two. Well, I'm glad we did a deep dive on something specific like deadlines because it, to me that kind of gives some concrete examples about 
uh, culture of care or pedagogy of kindness in practice. Can you think of some others in the course of a, of a, of a, of a semester, uh, the ways that you would put that into practice? So this is something that, again, that I did just recently over the pandemic. I had time to reflect on my teaching during the pandemic. Good. So I've tried to put some things into practice. But I, I can think of two more quick examples. So one is quizzes. Um, I'm someone who I do weekly quizzes. And you know I always start out each class by saying that all our tests are going to be essay tests because history, as we talked about as a discipline, there's no A, B, or C answer to why there was a civil war right? It's complicated and you can't answer that in a multiple choice question. Right, right. All my quizzes are multiple choice. And my students are like, wait a minute, there's tension there. But it's really, I would just, mostly they're there to make sure they're doing the reading. And I think of the quizzes very much as teaching tools that, that I sometimes ask really hard questions. And the intent is for them, if they get it wrong, they're supposed to say, oh, well, why is this wrong? And then they can think about it and learn why they got it wrong. Okay. And one of the things that has happened, unsurprisingly, is that students argue that they get unhappy with that because it feels like, well, this is a really hard question and how am I supposed to know that? And, and my answer would always be, well, number one, the quizzes don't count for very much. And number two, this is a teaching tool. I want you to learn from this. Right. And they were like, well, great, but it, like, I feel like it's hurting my grade. And, and I realized it was creating this, even though it's not worth a huge amount. For the student, it matters a lot to yeah. get that really oh, low so grade. True. It is so true. And so I changed all my quizzes and I turned them into multiple attempts so that if you get it wrong, if I want you to learn from, if, if I'm saying, first of all, that this isn't that big a deal, then why am I making such a big deal out of it? <laughs> Fair point. And then the other thing was, if I want it to be a teaching tool, I want it to be sort of a teachable moment for them, then let them learn and have it not penalize them. And so I changed the way I do my quizzes. And so they can take them over. So they can take them over. And there's limits. I, I, I think I give them three attempts. Mm -hmm. And they're short quizzes, so most of the students get all of them. Then when they don't get all of them, they still get sort of mad because they're like, oh, I can't believe it. But it's no longer that I've somehow, they've had different options to do this and to try to learn. And, and uh, two things, they've kind of tapped into competing against themselves, right, yes. rather than against the test or you. But yes. the other thing that I thought of when you were talking about, and th this is, I think, masterful on your part, is hearkening back to our conversation about the real world. There are tests in the world that are multiple attempt tests, right? How many stories have you heard about people taking the bar exam several right. times or taking the GRE or the SAT? There are that those are real world reattempts. And and most of the things that our students are going to do aren't going to be tests like that anyway. That's most true. of the things they're going to be, you know, there's there's no multiple choice job interviews. There's very few multiple choice jobs. And so um, so I, I think penalizing them in that way and letting them most of the time, if you make mistakes in your work, you have the opportunity to try to learn from that and improve. Oh, that's fascinating. So I have one more question for you before we wrap up, Jeff, and this is just fascinating. We've spent the entire time uh, talking about the classroom, talking about how it applies to, you know, quizzes and tests and daily teaching. My last question is, how would you see a culture of care or a pedagogy of kindness uh, being enacted outside of the classroom? So uh, you're very active and engaged institution-wide at our college. Beyond the classroom in student supports and how we structure the college, what does culture of care look like there? So I think that in a lot of ways, the pedagogy of kindness is really a reflection of the culture of care just in the classroom. Okay. And that, as you said, that we do a lot more than just in the classroom kind of things right. at LCC. And 
because I'm in a story and I'm going to do a little history if that's okay. No, it's perfect. <laughs> um, and I, I think, and as you said, this is a trend within higher ed, but right. I think at LCC in particular, a number of years ago, and it was quite some time ago, so it wasn't recent, um, they did a little bit of focus group work or whatever. And one of the things that students said is that they didn't really feel connected to LCC and oh. that they didn't feel like they belonged. <laughs> and um, I think the college at that time said, well, what can we do about that? Like right? that's, that's, yeah. what can we do? that's, what can you do? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that uh, one of our, I think it was a former provost, but I can't remember who exactly started talking about this, but said, well, what if we just started being friendlier? Like, what if we smiled at people when we saw them on campus? And that we did that in a very intentional way, because most of us are just generally kind of friendly. Mm -hmm. And if you see a student, you sort of maybe notice them. Or, but why not, like, say hello? <laughs> why not smile? And, and honestly, um, one of the things that he used was an example of a support staff worker who had seen a student who was upset and rather than just sort of passing by had stopped and asked them what was wrong and then had helped them and that person it wasn't their job to do this but they did it because this person was a member you know the student is a member of our community was right. having a hard time uh -huh. and what can I do as a member of the LCC community, someone who works at LCC and maybe can help them navigate this? And they found a solution to that student's problem. And so the idea was to try to be more intentional about doing things like that. Now, that makes it sound like, oh, we're just going to be smiley and friendly. And, and I think that what it is, I'm going to go back to where we started, it's a mindset change. Right. What are we here for? And that our role is if, if we are more intentional, because again, I'm someone, I'm pretty friendly. You know, I smile a lot. Right. But, but when I walk across campus, was I being active in that care for students? Now, that's a great observation because even if you are naturally friendly and smiling, if you're on your way to class, you're thinking, okay, what are we covering today? What's the plan? You've got a lot of things on your mind. Um, and I love your focus on intentionality. Right. But I also think it's really elegant the way you've brought the conversation back to where we started. It started with a simple principle where you said um, students are people and, and they have uh, cares and needs outside of the classroom. And that's where we've ended is that, you know, even outside of the classroom, students are people. And we, if we sort of need to be attentive to their whole, their whole personhood. And, and if you bring that helper mentality mm -hmm. with that idea of their personhood, that sort of helper mentality, I, I think is what makes it so that instead of just um, putting the burden on the student to try to find what they need, right. we give them what they need to achieve it themselves, right? And that our role is to, you know, I always think of Mr. Rogers, right? Look for the helpers. We have to be the helpers. And that that is... Again, being intentional about that is how we best do that. And we, I think one of the things the culture of care means at LCC is we try to infuse being the helper into all of our interactions, uh, hopefully with our students, but also with each other. Well, Jeff, I can't think of a better way to end our conversation. Thank you so much for sharing about this. It's been a fascinating conversation for me. Well, thank you so much. I was happy to be here. Teachable Moment is recorded and produced by Steve Robinson on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack is licensed through DeWolf Music and was composed by John Rowcroft. Want more Teachable Moment? Visit lccconnect.org for more episodes. And if you have an idea you'd like to discuss with me on the show, send me an email at steve.robinson at lcc.edu. 
Until next time, keep learning. You're listening to LCC Connect on WLNZ Lansing, 89.7 FM.